honesty hour, I did not know what I was doing in regards to launching this podcast. And I wouldn't have been able to do it without Anchor. Anchor makes starting a podcast super, super easy and allows you to not only use their platform to distribute the podcast, but you can even go on your phone or computer and record and edit the podcast right on their platform. Best of all, it's totally, totally free. So if you're interested in starting a podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Hello and welcome to the Urban Misfits show. Today I have on my favorite guest of all time. I have on my father. Currently going through the chemo process, we are filming in the basement today because he is still on house arrest from the chemotherapy treatments that he received at the hospital. But we go into detail about his time owning a business, his time recovering from owning that business, and and how he found the steps of motivations to turn his life around and really prepare for factors he didn't know were about to happen. About 10 years ago, he Basically, his dad told him that he was getting a little chunky in a very hilarious way, which I will never forget, which we dive into in the episode. But that moment set a course for his life to become a Tough Mudder ambassador, one of the most powerful influencers that I don't think people would actually call an influencer on social media. Obviously, by far the most influential person in my life and and so, so, so much more. So please enjoy this episode because you will cry as both of us did. Stay tuned. Enjoy. So welcome everybody to the Urban Misfit Show. Today I am super excited to be here with my dad. I've actually contemplated who you know we want to bring on the show, who we want to talk to, and I thought there's really nobody better to bring on than my dad. You know, we want to bring people on that obviously have been through a lot, that have a lot of experience in life, and I don't think that there's anybody better to fit this show, especially as of late than my dad. So how are you today? Good. Seen a lot of things. Just watched the Packers lose on an underdog team. So wasn't a good day for that past bike, but that's okay. I can, the sun will rise tomorrow. So a lot of people that know us and know the business and know us individually know that you just got released through chemo. So how has, how has that been? How is your body feeling? Feeling fantastic. Um, went for a five mile walk the other day. I used a treadmill. I try each day because I'm committed to getting myself better and healthier. And to do that, it's, it's a mental it's a mental grind. I mean, you literally have to every day think positively and think, what can I do better today that I didn't do yesterday? And how can I make today better than it was yesterday? So every time I go on the treadmill, I tell myself mentally to do further, faster, and a little bit longer time to make that transition to better myself. Because if if you don't, if you regress, you're, you're not going to get ahead in life. or not going to get ahead in things. So you always got to focus your mind on being better every day than the day before. I like that. And I normally I would continue with that topic, but I think for you, the best fit is to kind of go chronologically. So I know a lot about you, obviously, yes. since I am your son. So I can kind <laughs> You've of lived everything. I can kind of lead into where it needs to go. But you started your professional career as a TV repairman. Back in 1970, 1980, I came out of MATC as a TV repairman. And was actually pulling tubes out of TVs and testing them and putting them back in and kind of evolved with the industry as it went. But I was a repairman for a very long time. How did you evolve? Because obviously TV repairs are really no longer a thing. Not much. No, there's not many places that fix TVs anymore. But back in the 80s, it was a popular thing because it was worth repairing where the cost of TVs was more than two or three times the price of a repair for a television. So it made it worthwhile to actually fix that television set instead of just throwing it away and buying a new one. How did, so I think from what I took in 
your transition out of repairing TVs and the transition of repairing TVs kind of as a whole as it died was with you taking ownership of the business. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, there was there was a time once I did take ownership. Yeah, I didn't want to repair anymore because my life was more involved in running the business because by that time it was more geared towards selling. I was more into the sales aspect of it and promoting the company because one of the things I do love to do is promote products and promote things. It we'll get into that. passion of mine, <laughs> uh, which you've taken over yeah. as well. Um, but there was a, a transition period where I just got out of the repair. I hired some people to do the repairs and let them take care of that part of it because I wanted nothing to do with it anymore because it got, it got more complicated. And not that I couldn't have transitioned into that complicated, but I didn't want to anymore. I had too many other things I wanted to do other than repair televisions, that just wasn't my gig anymore. So I found somebody to do it, and I led myself more into the ownership and the sales aspect of the company. And how did you fall into owning the company? Uh, I had worked for uh, the owner for 15 years, and I just finally – I didn't see a future working for him anymore. When By the time I was – oh, man, what was that? Mid-40s probably. I'm like, you know, I'm mid-40s. I don't see me working for him for the rest of my life. And I just decided that I wanted to, he actually moved away and I was running the company for him for like three years and he was moved up North and really didn't have much to do with the company more. So I was running it for him and I'm like, well, as long as I'm running it for him, I might as well own it. So I made him an offer that he couldn't refuse and, and I bought, bought the company from and took it from there. When did you know that you could own a business? After, after controlling it, well, I shouldn't say controlling it, but for running it for that long, I knew I was confident enough that I could do it. Um, there was obviously a transition into doing that, but it literally wasn't much because I was used to doing it for three years. So I just transitioned into taking ownership and put my name on everything instead of his. <laughs> There's obviously more stress involved in that. Yeah. But. Yeah. So what was kind of your biggest early stressors? Uh, cause this was your first business that you was owned. The first was actually owned. So of course, every month you got to pay the bills and pay the taxes and pay the rent and all that stuff and pay the employees. And that is a, it's a stressful thing because you got to make sure you bring in enough income to cover all of that. And being a promoter, that was one of the things I loved doing was promoting the company to bring in that added income. We moved from a smaller location to a much larger location, like four times the size and opened up a huge showroom floor, which one of the things we didn't have at the old store was the room to do that. And there was no potential of growth because it was literally in downtown for Washington. It was a smaller building. There was no way to make it bigger. So when I found out there was this big complex opening west of me right off the highway, I'm like, that's a slam dunk. Let's just move into there. We'll, we'll create a bigger service department, a bigger sales floor and hope that it works and take it from there. But it is a risk. I, I, stood out on the end of a branch doing it because it wasn't, it wasn't just a little transition. It was a huge transition. <laughs> it was a huge transition. What was kind of the biggest struggle as a business owner through the day to day? Uh, that's a good question. There was uh, obviously keeping the customers happy was hard because you can't please everybody. And as a smaller company, you have to deal with the bigger companies always trying to cut your throat and knock you out of the ball game because the, the less the smaller companies are, the more the bigger companies can easily take over and, and just destroy all the small companies. That's why they have now after black Friday, they have small Saturday, Sunday, small business Saturdays or small business Saturdays to help all the small businesses, which is something I, I love totally and try to support every chance I get. How did you undermine what the bigger companies are trying to do? How did you find success within that? Personal service. And it literally was, 
When a, when a customer came into my store, they saw me, the owner. They saw the face of the company, where if you go into a bigger company, you typically 99.9% of the time, you're not going to see the, the owner of Sears or or Macy's. They're just nowhere to be found. You'll see a manager of the store. But when the customers came into my store, they saw me because I was there pretty much every hour that it was open. I wanted to be there and be part of it. I did sometimes help on deliveries and stuff, but as a TV company i wanted to be there to sell those products and be in the face of the product and the and the and the reps and the manufacturers and everybody involved in it as well and then obviously that kind of came upon hard times and and you've moved on from that but so i want to talk about a lot about your time as a car salesman was <laughs> because nothing I, against the car dealerships but it was the worst month of my life i would say that <laughs> even in that one month that's where you i think grew the most it could be because i found out like the car salesman that I worked for literally was one of those things where they had to move the product that was on the lot. And I understood that, but it just wasn't a fit for me. I had to get back into the electronics as, as mad as I was in electronics, because when I closed my store, it was, you know, hard economic times. It was, et cetera. It was a lot of reasons why I closed it. Um, and I went into car sales for one month and I just despised every second of it because a lot of time you're just, you're, you're expected to call all your family and friends and have them come in and buy cars. Well, they don't all need cars and they don't all need new cars. So that's, it, it would take time to build that customer base. And I just didn't want to spend that time because by now I'm in my late forties. I didn't want to take the time to do that. So I wanted to get back into the electronics industry and I found an opening for the company that I work for now that had that opening. So I, I jumped at that window because literally I was a turnkey operation. They had to teach yeah. me nothing. I knew everything. About, I knew the reps. I knew the distributors. As an owner, I got to meet and talk to all those people. So I didn't have to be trained at all. All I had to do was learn their system of how they wanted me to enter sales in and stuff because the rest I knew. I was one of their most uh, educated employees they had because I literally was turnkey operation. How would you say the differences between owning a business and being an employee because i i would argue that you kind of own your store because i think that you are the one that's most present and and whatnot and you have i think your customers locally that has kind of helped your personal sales there but right. how do you see the difference between employee versus ownership being in the same industry ownership has its value and is and is is perks obviously because you are in charge. Every decision made is your decision. So you can make it better or worse. Now, one of the things I did have for my employees, like if you come with me to a problem, come to me with a problem, you better have a solution or be prepared to accept mine. That was one of the staples that I put down in my business. Um, but being a business owner, it, it, it had its perks, like I said, because you could easily make every decision you needed to make to make the business bigger. As an employee of a company, the best part about that is I can leave at the end of the day and not bring it home with me. Owning a business, you own it. People think you just walk to the bank with money. They just do. I mean, that's an impression the general public sometimes has, and it isn't that way. You you live with it 24-7, 365. Absolutely. It's nonstop, all day long, every day. You do nothing but think about that business. So I also got to the point, not only where, you know, hard times economically, but I literally got to the mental breaking point where I can't do this anymore. I can't live with this business 24-7 because it's going to break me and I just had to get out of it. So now being in a trend in a place where I can work and do what I love to do and do it the way I need to do it, because the beauty of the company I work for is I don't have anybody over my shoulder watching every move I make because they trust me because they trust me because I've been doing this my whole life. And 
it's the beauty of that is I can then do my thing and not have to worry about, oh, if I make a mistake here, I'm going to get fired or whatever. Because if I do make a mistake, we just talk about it and fix it and move on. But as a now an employee, I don't have to worry about paying the bills, paying the taxes. At the end of the day, I come home and I, I still think about work. There's no way around that. And we all do, even yeah. if we're off work. But I don't have to worry about it as much. The worry factor is gone. And that is a big mind relief. So there are pros and cons. It's, it's each individual to himself how they want to handle it. If economic hard times were never an issue, do you see yourself owning the same business today? No, I wouldn't want to go back and do it again. Granted, I'm 59 years old, so it's I don't want to jump into it. If I was 30 years old, I would probably consider it. Uh, but at my age now, no, I, I told my employer who I work for now, I said, you have me to retirement unless you really <laughs> mess up and, <laughs> and yeah. tick me off, which hasn't happened. And I doubt it's ever going to happen. So cool. <laughs> cool. I think that's, that's definitely very good to, to talk about just business because the thing that I think people listening will love about you is that you're so multifaceted, but I think it comes down at the end of the day to sales. Now, Grant, you started as a, a repair man, but right. I think very easily and very quickly you came into the sales role and very much succeeded at that. So let's talk about influencing and sales your, is and your part sales. Of, sales is one of those things where you have to be able to read people. And that is, it's, it's a gift. My sister at times is very mad at me because when she comes in a store and sees me sell stuff, sell stuff, she's like, Oh, I wish I could do that because I couldn't do what you're doing. And I, it just comes to me naturally. I could sell oil to a guy in a white shirt. I'm not bragging. I'm just, it's just, I can read people when they come into the store, whether they're legit, like they're ready to buy, not ready to buy. Do they want information? And I'll be honest, I don't know every spec on every TV that we carry and every audio system that we carry, but I know what customers need and I know how to get them what they need in their house. I don't oversell. I don't undersell. I try to find out what their needs are. And I try to get them their needs because that way they're going to be happy. I don't want to oversell a customer and they go, oh, this jerk sold me more than I'll ever need. I spent so much money. I'm never going back there. I don't want to undersell either because I don't want a customer calling me up and saying, you know, I could have used a bigger TV. But that's why I like to go into people's houses when they come into the store and find out what, because then I can get a feel for what their needs are in, in their environment. That way I can see it. I can go, yep, this is what I recommend. I'm not going to throw, you know, push you to the wall and say, this is what you have to have. This is what I'm recommending. But it's it's more of that customer service, that customer realization of what their needs are and giving them their needs and having fulfilled their needs than just selling them a box. I'm not a box mover. That's the last thing I want to be is a box mover. So I love it when people come into the store and we can sit and talk. In fact, I'll joke sometimes with them to try to lighten the atmosphere, like saying, you know, every time I watch the Brewers play on this TV, they, they win <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, just to break the ice and create some comfort factor with me that they don't. Because when you walk into a store, you're, you are stressed to the point where you feel like these people are going to push something down your throat. And a lot of salesmen do that. And that is by far not me because that's the last thing I want to be known as is, is, a, is somebody who does that. So a lot of your sales comes from relationships. How important has just building good relationships been on longevity? Because like it's huge. Electronics is not a buy it once and you're good for life sort of thing. No, it's huge because you get referrals out of that. And the better you can treat people. So if I go in, like I've got this one customer who's referred literally his whole family to me. Like, you know, if if, if they need something, they call me flat out, whether uncle, aunt, brother, sister, son, daughter, that whole family will call me if they need something. 
because I take I took care of one customer. You can the other thing about customers too is you have you have to be able to read them. Like don't like a rich person could come totally walking into the store in blue jeans and a grubby shirt. Don't look at that person and go, oh, he's never going to buy anything because maybe he's not the rich person. Maybe his dad is. And if I took care of this guy and he says, hey, go to this guy, he'll take good care of you. And all of a sudden a dad comes in and goes, yeah, you took care of my son. I need everything in my house replaced. Done. We can do that for you. So don't underestimate people when you look at them. Don't prejudge people when you look at them just because of their appearance. You have to be able to give everybody that fair opportunity of what they need and what they like and give them what they want because then they'll keep coming back and telling their friends about you. That's why I love when we go into meetings all not dressed up. And right. <laughs> you don't have never, to be. But never once has it been commented on. No. Nothing because that's just, you know what we're selling you and we're not selling you something that's buttoned up because we feel like forcing it. And it's funny because if you if you watch baseball footage from back in the 20s and 30s, men wore suits, ties, and hats to a baseball game. Oh, yeah. When was the last time you went to a brewer game and saw somebody in a suit and a tie? In a long time. <laughs> I, definitely not in my lifetime. No, Let's put it that way. No, but that's times have changed. So you're right. You don't, you don't have to dress in a suit and tie. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There are certain situations where like – uh, more attorneys or more things along that line where in, a, in that type of atmosphere, that's proper attire. In my atmosphere where I sell product, I don't have to wear a suit and tie. That's just my business that I'm in. And like you just said, a lot of times you don't have to either because it's, it's the biggest thing about sales is having that person comfortable with you. If they're not comfortable with you, they ain't buying anything. You could have the best price, the best service and everything, but if they are not comfortable with you as a person, they ain't buying anything from me. So whatever it takes to break that ice and get them comfortable with you, that's that's a lot about sales. What's the hardest part about breaking the ice? Hardest about breaking the ice is, is and there are certain people you just can't. There are certain people you're just not going to win over regardless, no matter what. They're not going to buy from you no matter what. But as far as breaking the ice go, it's, it's that smile. It's that, hey, how you doing? It's just trying to, I don't want to say be their friend, but take, take uh, concerns for what their needs are. Don't just try to sell them a box. Don't just try to sell them a product. Don't just try to sell them a service. Sell them your, you're selling yourself is what you're selling. Because if they have comfort in you, they will buy from you and they'll tell everybody about you. But so that breaking that ice is more about getting that person to be comfortable with you as a person so that they will buy from you. I always like to relate to like when we go out and shoot for like the admirals, you know, every time... Q comes along, he'll bring up like how, you know, you're on the ice in intermission filming. Like you look up in the stands, how many people would kill to be in your shoes? And like, I never really think about that because even with the players, like the players get swarmed everywhere they go. If they're recognized recognized, and like it, for me, I always tell people like they're just human beings, right? They put on their pants one leg at a time. Yeah. They're no different. If Alex Rodriguez or David Ortiz or, or, um, Stephen Curry walk down the street, people are going to swarm them because they recognize them. If one of the Milwaukee Admirals walks down the street, the recognition factor isn't as great. You and I might know who they are, but the general public does not. Like a funny story, Michael Waltrip was a NASCAR race car driver years ago. And at their their, um, awards banquet in New York, he walked outside and interviewed random people and asked them if they knew who Michael Waltrip was. (laughs) And 
Nobody knew. Yeah. But because they didn't follow NASCAR. Right. It wasn't that he wasn't popular. In his sport, he was a very, everybody knew who oh, Michael yeah. Waltrip was. Everybody. If you follow NASCAR, you know who Michael Waltrip is. If you don't, you don't have a clue. Yeah. So it's a recognizable recognition factor as well. So then how have you taken that sales approach outside of your job? Well, with your ambassadorship, <laughs> well, with your everything. Uh, now we transition to something different because now if you look on my wall behind me here, you can see, and Eric is as well, him and I got hooked on this thing back in 2013 called Tough Mudder. I found out about it from a friend and a good family friend of ours, Kyle and Eric, and I did it in 2013 in, in, in Wisconsin, and we loved it. We It was a four-hour thing. We learned a lot about ourselves and we learned a lot about overcoming obstacles that you just didn't think you could do ever. And when you cross that finish line and they put that headband on you and you get that shirt, it is, it's the yes feeling of accomplishment no that you just feeling. can't, it's hard to put into words and you can't tell someone until you do it. You could go up to a random person on the street and say, you know, I, you know, I did this tough mother thing and it was really fun and they're not going to have any interest yeah. at all. But when you bring a passion to it, like I do, they will and I've grown my team from me and you and Kyle to 15 people just yeah. by talking about it, just by bringing that passion. And now these people are hooked. So it, it's, <laughs> but would you, and, and, and they've, they are hooked because they joined us. They joined our passion and they, and they did those obstacles and they accomplished them and they, they pushed themselves to the limit mentally and physically. There are things where you crawl through a tube that if you're claustrophobic, it's going to be a major issue. But you overcome that obstacle. You just do it. And your teammates are there to help you and support you. It's teamwork. It's camaraderie. It gets you past that point. And when you get through that obstacle, you're like, I didn't think I could do that. But now I did. I did it. And you just, yeah, I did that. Like the, the, the first time when we hit Mount Everest, which was running up a ramp about 15 feet tall, angled, and you get to the top and you try to get over it. The first year that you and I did that and Kyle, it was raining and it was slippery. And I just yeah. couldn't get my speed, speed up to get up that ramp. And I was so upset. I tried three times. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. And I was so upset that it ruined my, didn't ruin my whole event. But when we crossed that finish line, I'm like, you know, I got my headband, but I didn't get that obstacle. So the next year. thirsting for more. Right. It made me thirst for more. You're right. And I'll bring that. I got another story to bring up about thirsting for more. But it made me focus that the next year there was no way I was going to fail at that. So the following year, it didn't rain. I ran up to the top. I got grabbed by one guy's arm and I said, you will not let go of me. And he didn't. And he says, all right, another guy next to him, give me your other arm. So he gave me his other arms and I'm hanging there two arms trying to crawl up this steel ramp. A third guy said, give me your leg, give me your leg. So I threw my leg up. So now picture me with two arms and a leg with the other leg just hanging. And they pulled me over the top. And when I got up to the top, I stood there like I was on top of Mount Everest going, yeah, and I just screamed at the top of my lungs that I accomplished that. With the help of others, because that's what Tough Mudder is about, is yeah. teamwork and camaraderie. And it got me over that obstacle that I didn't think I could do, and I've not failed it since. I've yeah. made it every time yeah. because I've had that help. That's incredible. <clears throat> yeah. How, is, how have you built your team? What's been the most important part about the relationships that go behind it? Because I know that you have to be selective with who you bring on your team. I have two rules. Two rules on my team. A, you have to be someone I would want to hang out with off the course. So you have to have a fun, energetic personality. You can't just be a thug or a, or just a, a downer. I don't want a downer on my team because it's going to bring the whole team down. Secondly, when we do the obstacles, you will do them with us as a team. 
In other words, you can get ahead of me because I'm not exactly fast. Fast left me a long time ago from one obstacle to the next. But when we get to that obstacle, you will wait for me and the rest of the team. And we will do that obstacle as a team. If you go on your own and pass, keep going. Don't launch anymore. So because of my passion of doing Tough Mudders, and I've done them now since 2013, I've done five of them, six actually, five and a half because I did a half. Um, Tough Mudder acknowledged that and gave me the role of ambassadorship last year, which was <laughs> literally when I got that email, I ran around the store in, in, in excitement because I just couldn't believe I was given that opportunity. And as an ambassador, one of my roles is to promote the company as a brand and add members to the team and just promote it, just su- spread the knowledge about it. So I wear my Tough Mudder attire everywhere I go because I love talking about it. If, if I see another person in a mall or something with a Tough Mudder shirt on, a conversation is going to happen. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's guaranteed. That's the most beautiful thing about being in Tough Mudder is that no matter where you are, what the situation is, if you see another shirt, you give whoever that is a handshake. Because totally. Because it's just, you share the same you button. You go through it, you know that pain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because it is pain. There's, yeah. well, you're, you're doing this course, it's like four hours long and there are obstacles meant to challenge you physically and mentally. There's no physical way you could do it alone. It is impossible. And the course is designed that way. It's designed not to be done alone. They don't want you doing it alone because they want to promote this. In fact, the story behind how Tough Mudder started is, is the creator was doing a marathon in, in Europe and he had an issue with one of his shoes and he had to fix it and he tried to get people to help him. No one would help him because they were more concerned of their own individual times. And he said, this is ridiculous. This is a, a, a challenge of an event and no one's going to help me finish. He said, I'm coming up with something where you have to help the next person to get over that obstacle and finish. So getting back to my other story that I was going to go to, um, not this year, last year, two years ago, I wanted to do a half marathon. I've run 10Ks, I've run 5Ks, and I'm like, I'm going to push myself to do a half, which is 13.1 miles. I didn't train enough. And when I did the course in Milwaukee, I had to stop twice to catch my breath and to catch myself. And I literally didn't think I was going to finish. But when you're out on that road with all these other runners, there's no one to come save you. No. You're out there on your own. There's going to be a car pull up and say, okay, I'll give you a ride to the finish. It's not happening. You have to finish that course no matter how long it takes. My goal that year was to do it in three hours. And I know that's not fast by the winner's time because a winner can do it in an hour, hour and a half, I mean, two you hours. You consider yourself a winner though. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I did it in like three hours and 15 and I was so mad at myself when I crossed that finish line that I didn't hit my goal. But I also told myself that was the physically and mentally the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because <laughs> I just wasn't trained for it. And I, I literally went to work that day. Granted, I didn't work a physical job where I had to do anything physical, but I sat there and drooled and dwelled on it. Like, I will never do this again. That was, I just was so in pain and <laughs> just mentally drained to the nth. But the next morning I woke up and I was so upset with myself that I did not get the three hours. I said, I'm signing up the next year, <laughs> flat out. So as soon as it was available to do it, I signed up and then I trained and I trained and I trained and I trained and I trained myself up to 12 miles going, if I can do 12, I can easily do Mm 13.1. So I would run 12 miles on the high school track. And I did that course the next year in two hours and 48 minutes. So I, I I accomplished my goal and I, now I don't think I'll ever do another one because I, you don't have to, I did, I hit my goal. So now I'm focusing more on the tough mutters and building my team. And like you ask about how to build a team, one of the couple members on my team, I went into the gym and she was wearing a Tough Mudder shirt. Well, like I said, that creates a oh, conversation yeah. for me. Especially and it was the same year that you and I did it. She had a okay. 2013 shirt and I literally walked up to her and I said, we shared the same mud five years ago. And she's like, what? And I, I, I had my shirt on, of course. 
And we started a conversation now, her and her, her, and her husband are teammates. It's just, I've added them. I've added um, one girl on my team who was friends of another girl on my team that, that the gym. They added on. And, and it was funny because the next morning I got a call from her mom saying, um, if my daughter's doing it, I'm doing it too. <laughs> so it was, it was kind of interesting. That's how I've built this. And again, I built it through talking about it and promoting it, but promoting it in a good way. Like, promoting, like, you know, you're going in this, you're going to be sore. You know, you might get hurt. There are people that walk off there with broken bones. Mm-hmm. It just happens, but you have to go in that course going, I'm here to have fun. And I'm here not to hurt myself. So I'm going to think about every obstacle that I have to go over and how not to hurt myself. So there are certain things too where, okay, I can't swim. I sink like a brick. One of the obstacles is is water. It's a water obstacle where there is no bottom. You have to jump off of like a cliff and and fall into water. Well, I I can't swim. So there's no way I'm going to do that obstacle. One of the beauties of Tough Mudder is there's no shame. And they tell you this right up front. If you can't swim or if you have a, a fear of anything, walk around the obstacle. There's absolutely no shame in it at all. So when we get to that, when I walk around and I go do the next, I have no shame in doing that because I'm there to have fun. I'm not there to get hurt. I'm not there to die. I'm there to have fun with my team. And we have the greatest time because we volunteer the day before. And volunteering, believe me, is just as much fun as doing oh, the yeah. obstacle because the event, because you, we always volunteer at the finish line. So we get the people when they're done and they cross that line and you put their headband on, you give them a big muddy hug and they're like, oh, thank you for being here. And you give them their, their protein bar and their shirt and they are just so happy. Um, we have such a good time doing the volunteering and then doing the event. You know, you bring these people on board to volunteer, and they they see the passion of all the people that are there. There's eight to eight to eleven thousand people a weekend that do these courses, and they see all this camaraderie and teamwork. And like you would notice when we did it mm-hmm. the first year, you did it, you're like, wow, these are total strangers. I've oh, never yeah. met these people before. They're from all over the world, all over the country, and they just help you do whatever you need to do to to get through that obstacle. It's just so much fun, and it it blows my mind because like. I'll never forget when we first did our first one and we were waiting for them to call our leg or whatever to go to the start line. Wave, yeah. Yeah. And we ran into that guy with a GoPro on. Yes. And he was like, totally look cool as can be. Mm-hmm. And I remember like asking him if it was his first time and he was like, yeah, it's totally my first time. And I'm like, how are you not <laughs> terrified right now? I was, I literally, when, when this, when the MC was talking, I literally took a knee and said a prayer. Yeah. I'm like, please Lord, get me through this event unhurt. And, and after doing that, I now understood it. And I now understood the process of getting through it and how to get through it. And as you know, Half of the fun is helping people. Oh yeah! Like now, once I've made it up to the top of Everest, I literally will 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 be on the top with the team, and we will help people up that for twenty thirty minutes, just throwing your arm out, going, "I got you, I got you." And it's funny because <laughs> newbies, when they come running up there, the fear of God is in their eyes, and they're like, "Don't let me go! Don't let me die!" And it's just so much fun just yeah. to see the look in their faces, and when you help them over, they give you this big hug, and their face just glows; it just lights up like a Christmas tree, and it makes you feel so good inside that you were able to help them overcome that. So again, that's part of this whole community that Tough Mudder has built. How is that? I'm going to skip around chronologically a little bit here, but I think this is fitting. What? How has that helped you camaraderie, teamwork, doing something that you never thought you'd be able to do through your cancer? It's helped me a lot with what I'm, because well, I suppose we should dabble into that then if we're going to talk about that, because um, 
the goal this year, I had four Tough Mudders planned and potentially doing World Tough Mudder, which is a 24-hour like event. You were going to do it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you had signed up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was, it was a mental thing that Kyle and I were going to do this year and with some teammates and possibly some pit crew. Um, that was back in January of this year. Um, back in roughly March, I developed some back pain where it limited my workouts and limited my exercises. I started going to a chiropractor and he found a, a pinched disc that he was trying to fix. Well, random phone call during that time, I got a phone call from an insurance agent that said, Hey, we can extend your life policy 10 years and save you money over the course. And I'm like, game on, I'm, I'm all for that. So to do that, they had to do blood work. Well, when the blood work came back, I caught a phone call that I was denied the coverage. And I'm like, how can you deny me? I'm, I'm training for world stuff as yeah. I'm training for four events. I, I eat healthy. I've worked out for 10 years. I've lost 40 pounds over that time. I'm in the best physical shape of my life. How can you possibly cancel me? And they said, well, your protein level in your blood is too high. I'm like, well, I have a lot of chicken. I have a lot of fish. I eat a high protein diet. And they're like, different kind of protein issue. So they sent me to a doctor. And uh, back in April, I found out that I have multiple myeloma, which is a bone marrow cancer. Of course, first thing I do is Google it, which is the biggest mistake in my life because I'd be dead <laughs> big, by now if, big, I, big if, I, if I followed how that goes. <laughs> so it scared the bejesus out of me. Um but I went to the doctor and they had a, a fix. They had a way to fix what I have. In fact, the doctor that I'm with in Milwaukee was one of the founders of the cure. And the cure is, is you go through chemo treatments and you go through a, a bone marrow transfer, a blood transfer, where they literally take, I have ports in my chest where they take all my stem cells out, they freeze them, put them back into me like five days later. And by freezing them and putting them back into me, the cancer cells theoretically die. And then they hit me with a blast of chemo. Like the way, the way they worded it, it was everything they had and that killed whatever was left. So the pre part of that was I had to go through chemo treatments to lower that protein level. And it did. I followed every instruction that those doctors told me. In fact, when I first met him and he told me what I had, I said, when can we start tomorrow? I want to, I want to do this because I'm very proactive in everything I do mm -hmm. now with the Tough Mudder stuff and with this. And I just said, okay, then let's get started. He said, well, we can't start tomorrow. We have a procedure that we have to do. I'm like, okay, well, you tell me what to do. You tell me where to be, what I need to do. And I will do it because I want this fixed. I want to fix as soon as possible. And I want this out of me. He said, okay, game on. So luckily I have that mental mindset where a lot of the people that he deals with don't. He said they will, like I had to take this pill for 14 days on seven days off was one of the chemo treatments that I had. Luckily I didn't have to go and sit there and be a, a tube in me, which uh, I had to go in those rooms and I felt so bad for some of the people who did. Luckily I wasn't one of those people. I had a pill and a shot in my stomach every, every, for two weeks. And some of the people would actually take a whole week's worth of pills in one day Ugh. and like, what are you doing? <laughs> you can follow the instructions of the doctor because he knows how to fix me. He has a routine and process that is a proven track record of success. And he says, if you do these procedures, you'll come out of this fine. And I, I'm like, that's all I need to hear. You tell me how to get rid of this and I will do it to a T. So I have been. And he says, one of the lucky things for you is you took care of yourself prior. You ate good. You trained. You, you're in physical shape. You, you exercise. You ran. You did all these things that physically put you in a condition where we didn't have to deal with bad liver, bad heart, bad lungs. He said, you, you have no spots on you in x-rays. He said, your kidneys are fine. Your liver's fine. Your heart's fine. I could run you through a treadmill and not have any issues with you. So we're going to hit this hard and we're going to hit it right away. I'm like, good, game on, let's do it. So 
he said a lot of his patients, unfortunately, they have to deal with a bad heart or bad yeah. liver, and they have to fix that first before they can even address the cancer or they're overweight. So my 10 years worth of losing weight in training made this cancer journey so much easier to handle than it could have been. It still was terrible. And I'm not done with it. I'm nowhere near done with it. In fact, it'll be something that I'll have the rest of my life. But I'm in the, I'm in great shape right now. I went through two weeks in the hospital and and the, <laughs> the nurses there, oh my God, they were so much fun. We had we had such a great time and they were just they treated me like a, a friend more than a patient at Aurora, which was which was a gift because I didn't it was a horrible time in that hospital because I literally sat there for four days in my 16 by 16 room and I didn't want to leave that room. I would look at food for like 30 minutes and not want to eat it. And it had no flavor. It had no appeal to me at all. It was just terrible. And luckily you and mom came and visit me a lot, which was great. So I had somebody to talk to other than the nurses. But once I got out of there, I felt weak. I felt tired. Um, and I thought, oh my God, how am I ever going to get back to where I was before? I got out of there, let me see, four weeks ago, roughly. Has it been? Because you you only, you were there for exactly 14 days. Three to four weeks ago, I've been out of there. And I am now starting to work out with weights again. Like I said, I'm on my treadmill. I walk through town. I didn't think I'd ever be this fast back to the shape I'm in again. But that's a mindset. I could have easily just sat on the sofa and said, okay, they can do what they want and try to fix me. But I have goals. I have goals for 2019. I want to do what I didn't get to do this year, which was um, one of the, one of the cool things Tough Mudder does is when you get your 10th headband, because you get a headband like this every time you finish that I had five. I wanted to get to 10. So I'm like, okay, in 2018, we're going to do four Tough Mudders. And then the 10th one's going to be at Worlds. So I'm going to get my 10th headband. I'm going to get World's Toughest headband. I'm going to get all that accolades on the on the biggest event of their, their Super Bowl. And it didn't happen this year. So now I focus this next year, 2019, I want to do this. And that's my goal. So I'm a very goal-driven person. I have to be because otherwise, what's the point? <laughs> what blows my mind about that too is that you're currently 59. I've done two Tough Mudders. I felt like death the next day both times. Because mm-hmm. you do. A lot of and people. And a good pain, though. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not, <laughs> a, not completely it's a, it's bad. It's a good pain. A lot of people <clears throat> your age have given up. They have because I can't, nothing against people my age, but I have a hard time finding teammates my age. I don't have any. <laughs> yeah. All my teammates are your age, 25, 28, 22, because physically it's a lot easier for them to do than it is when you're 58, believe me. But there are people in worse shape than I am that do it and older than me. And I'm like, they can do it. I can surely do it because they're my drive. They're my motivation. Granted, I've had a lot of people, like when I went to Minnesota, Chicago, and Wisconsin this year, it's insane how many people came up to me who I've never met in my life who have been following my cancer journey because I've been posting all my videos uh, every month, every couple of weeks of of where I'm at in my journey. And they all been following me and they all came up to me, both in the ambassador group and Instagram and Facebook, whatever. And they're all like, how are you doing? We're so glad to see you here. We're so glad. They all gave me big hugs and just shake hands. And and they were just so thankful to see me. And they look at me as inspiration. Like, you know, if you can go through what you're going through, I can easily go through a four-hour Tough Mudder course. Like, okay. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Because... What I'm going through is pure hell. You know, when you lose taste and your fingers always hurt and your toes always hurt and, and 
and you just feel like crap 24 seven and your back still hurts. And uh, it, it's just not easy, but what are, what, what's my other choice? What my other choice is to do nothing and then live with that and just make it get worse. No. So the, the community of, of Tough Mudder has just bonded to me huge, both being an ambassador because I wear my ambassador shirt to all the events. And, you know, it's funny because if you wear an ambassador shirt around Port Washington, people look at you and like, oh, okay. Yeah. You wear an ambassador shirt to Tough Mudder event and people practically bow to you because they know you're, there's only 200 in the whole country who are ambassadors. And that's why I felt one of the, when they selected me, I was just in awe of being chosen. And I think I'll be good for next year too, because I kind of did really well promoting the brand and adding teammates and, and just promoting my, my cancer journey through Tough Mudder. In fact, um, I've been contacted with them to do an interview for their PR department. I haven't heard back yet because they just ended their season. So I'm sure it's something that'll come up in the future, but they've been following my journey as well and want to use that as part of their promotional thing because it is that again it's the teamwork it's the camaraderie it's people helping others and and people inspiring others so i'm obviously inspiring a lot of people by doing what i'm doing in the tough mudder community because they still i get texts and messages every day practically from people how you doing how you feeling we're we're back and you we're, we're praying for you everything it's just off the charts amazing Ah, the word community, how it's relationships and community, how that keeps coming up. <laughs> yes, it does. I would attribute, and this, obviously we cannot speculate on what the outcome could have been, but I, I attribute your current success to two major factors. Okay. One was the phone call from your insurance Yep, that was, guy. It, it, caught, it caught it early in its process. If it would have, I would have eventually found out for right. sure, but- who knows the, how bad it could Who have knows been. how bad it would have been. We caught it really early, and that helped a lot. And two, I will never forget this as long as I live. <laughs> when we were at Barb's house, your aunt, your sister Barb's house, okay. and Grandpa told you, Dave, you're putting on a little weight there. <laughs> because that day yes, yes, was your switch. It was. that Between him telling me that, and that was... 13 years ago, 12 years Had ago. Yeah, because he's been gone for at least 10 years. Um, that following week, I remember taking a shower and looking down and not being able to see my feet because my gut was too big. And I'm like, I can't go on like this because we live in a two-story house. It was, I'd go up a flight of stairs and I wouldn't be breathing hard, but I'd be like, you know, this isn't right. Yeah. Totally not right. And then I was looking around at other men my age and looking at them and with, you know, again, with some of them were in great shape, but others had beer bellies and were just out of shape. I, I don't want to be like that. I just don't, I don't want to feel like this anymore. I don't want to be like that. So I, I did flip a switch. I literally one day, that was it. It, it happened just like that. It wasn't a, Oh, let me think about a thing. It was, Nope, we're going to do this and we're going to do it now. So the one thing, you know, that helped is any junk food in the house we got rid of, we just threw yeah. it away. Because yeah. it ain't gonna happen anymore. Granted, I make cookies. I love treats every once in a while. You, I'm not a, I'm not a, not a bodybuilder where I train to do an event. Those people live by different guidelines than physical fitness guidelines, and just somebody who wants to be a better lifestyle. Because it is a lifestyle. It's it's more. It's it's uh, it's eating good. It's it's taking care of yourself. But I kind of refer to it as an eighty twenty rule. I was just so, gonna bring that up. Yeah, eighty yeah, percent good and twenty yeah. percent whatever I want because I'm not training to do in a bodybuilding event. If I was, then I'd have a hundred percent and zero. Right. Um, so I'm just living that lifestyle. So if I want to make cookies one night, I will. But then the next day I'm gonna eat a really healthy meal, which we typically do anyways. Yeah, and we're 
we've become a very healthy family. Yeah. And that again has saved me, but yeah, you're right that we flipped that switch and I'm so thankful I did because it's, it practically probably saved my life. I always <laughs> tell people that, that story because I think that it, again, there's no speculating, but like that moment was what started you on this journey, which then regardless of whether or not you discovered it early, again, you go to the doctor, you don't have kidney problems, you don't have liver problems, you don't nope. have heart problems, you don't have anything because you've, taken 10 years uh-huh. of your life they say when people go smoking effects don't happen immediately it right. takes years three to five years for your body to fully eliminate that from your system so like gift from god yeah. like that but don't think it's going to happen overnight like people right. who jump into fitness if it, if they're not losing 10 pounds in a week they give up you, you can't you this is a long process because it didn't you didn't gain that weight in t- in a week no. it took years to put that weight on it to get to that shape so to get rid of it, it ain't gonna happen overnight you just have to keep trugging away at it and and we did and once you notice that hey i lost 10 pounds this month or this two months or whatever right. i'm like wow and i feel better and i and don't get me wrong working out is hard oh yeah it's a mental grind where you have to physically tell yourself i'm going to go hurt myself <laughs> literally yeah. Yeah. because i'm going to go into a gym and i or at home here and i'm going to lift weights and it's going to be hard to do but each day i'm going to again like my treadmill story i'm going to push myself to lift more the next time or do one more set or do one more rep and and constantly make improvements because then it won't hurt as much it's that initial pain of doing it that scares people because the first time you do a bench press, your, your, your chest muscles, I guarantee you the next day they're going to be sore. Mm-hmm. They're going to be sore for a week and you're not going to want to bench press again, but you have to, you have to push past it because once you push past that and do that bench press two months later, it's a good sore. It's not a painful yeah. sore. It's a muscle like, Hey, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm tearing apart and I'm rebuilding myself better. So you, you learn that, but you, you have to get past that point. If you don't get past that point, you're never going to succeed at losing weight or, or building your muscles stronger. How important have habits been to that success and how, what were the initial struggles building healthy habits? Well, the initial struggle was not eating a pizza at night watching a movie because easily I could have pounded down a whole pizza and I, I have done that. So I've, I've eliminated that and would have a protein shake and a protein bar. People think that healthy food tastes like crap and is expensive. It, it's, it isn't. It, going to doctors all the time with bad health habits is expensive yeah. because your, your heart is failing or your kidneys are failing or whatever. That's, that's more expensive than eating healthy. Um, so the, that was one of the biggest transitions is just getting that, getting accustomed to that lifestyle not being able to have that pizza, not just shoving my face full in the afternoon with candy bars. I don't, I don't remember the last time I had a candy bar other than maybe a Saruji bar every once in a while, but that's very tough. There's an excuse. For I don't that. know yeah. if I'd call that. <laughs> no, but I've learned to love the taste of a fitness bar, a protein bar, and I've developed that into my lifestyle. And, and just, we love chicken. We love fish. We have meat every once in a while, salads, um, good carbs, yeah. rice you know we just eat a healthier lifestyle so by by switching over to that it took a little while um to get into those healthy habits but once you get into them it's once you have that healthy lifestyle you've eaten that way for a while for me now to go back and drink a coke nothing against coke but you know a, a pepsi product like that i don't like it yeah i don't like it anymore um i would rather have a celsius fitness drink or a, or a protein bar easily easily over that because i've i've now acquired the taste for that and lost the taste for the other things that i used to like i could no way sit down and eat a whole pizza anymore i would just 
Blah. <laughs> just the feeling of that would gross me out. What advice would you give to somebody on the outside looking in that wants to start a lifestyle change but doesn't know where to look? You got to look into the mirror. You literally do. It's like, do you want to continue the path you're on or do you want to live and feel better and feel better about yourself too? Because I looked at my old picture where I weighed 230 pounds as my motivation. I looked at it every day. I'm like, once I started losing weight and I got down to 195, I looked at that picture and I'm like, oh my God, I am never, ever going back like this under any circumstances ever again. Well, now that I've got my cancer journey, I've lost amazing amount of muscle mass because I had gained, I had, when I looked at my picture from January, I was, I was oh, pretty yeah. ripped. Absolutely. For a 59 year old man, yeah. I was looking good. And I look at that picture now, and now that's my before picture. Now I want to get back to that because over the course of time with this cancer thing, I lost a lot of muscle weight because I, I haven't worked out now since February or March. And uh, yeah, and I mean, it's, it's all been the an extended period of time. chemo treatment that they gave me that killed all my cells. It just killed everything in me. Um, when they put the transfusion or the trans transplant back in, they said, we're literally rebuilding you. We are starting all over again. Um, you're starting all over again with your own cells because they didn't give me anybody else's, which was, I was grateful for, but they literally told me that you're starting over. So that's how I look at it. I look at that picture now. I'm like, that's my goal now to get back to my goal is to train, to do the Tough Mudder events as physically demanding as they are. And if I come up to an event that I, or a obstacle that I physically don't think I could do, I'm going to walk around it. But my team that I built, God love them. They, <laughs> they're willing to pull me through in a wheelchair if it has to be. Oh, yeah. That's just the kind of people they are. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk about them. How how have they helped you through this process? I had an event this year in Madison where I had signed up for before I knew I had my cancer journey. And it was just a, a, a 5K run. And two of my teammates met me there. It was in Madison. And there was no way I could run it. Physically impossible because my back was in way too much pain. I was going through the treatments that I was doing. So I said, I'll go, but I have to walk it. And they're like, fine. Then we walk it. Um, the two people that I teamed up with could have lapped me three times <laughs> in the time it took me to walk that course because they are beasts on a on a course, on an obstacle course. And I love them as teammates because I know <clears throat> I know they will help me through and help my team through any obstacle that we run into because they're just that way. And I'm not going to lie, when we crossed that finish line, um, just walking was a, a huge accomplishment because they did it with me, you know. That was, that was just so awesome that they were able to do that. They they stood, they stepped back in their physical um, goals and, and, and pursuits to help me through that course by walking it with me. How vital has that been to your overall success through the cancer journey? Huge, because it, it it's that mindset again. It's all going back to the mindset. If you don't have the mental mindset to push past things, you're never going to push past them. When you come up, because you could easily do a cuff mutter course and walk around every obstacle and still get your headband. You mm -hmm. could. Um, one year I did it with, I ran into this family who the girl just had a broken leg or something. And she only did half the obstacles, but the one she physically could do, she did. And she got her headband. You could literally go to it, shortchange it, but what's the point? Yeah. I mean, if you walk around every obstacle just to get a headband and a beer and a shirt, you didn't accomplish nothing. You walk 10 miles. There's no... To me, mental gain in that, um, the gain is to overcome an obstacle, which I'm doing now with my cancer journey. I'm, I'm over, to me, to me, I look at this as a Tough Mudder event, as an obstacle course. Um, 
it has its ups, it has its downs. It's, it's, it's hard, but when it's done, I'll, um, I literally grabbed a shirt this year. I didn't wear it. I'm going to wear it when I get to ring that bell and I'm having, you get a headband every year and I'm having somebody make a headband for me that says cancer killer. And I'm going to wear that as well to all the events next year. That's awesome. <laughs> that's incredible. So, and everybody that's going to be there is going to know it's me because oh, yeah. they've all talked to me about it. They've all seen me about it. They've all kept in touch with me about it. So I've got people wanting to, <laughs> I've got people who I've met who literally want me to come to California. They want me to come to Toronto. They want me to come to Pittsburgh. They want me to go all over this country just to see me, just to meet me, just to run the course with me because I'm such an inspiration and motivation for them because they they look at what I'm going through as, well, it is way harder than a modern course, but they look at me as inspiration to push them past their obstacles in life too. So how do you be a good leader then? Because you have a lot of power in that space. By a leader is, is someone who can inspire people and help them pass their points. It's not somebody who bosses somebody around and said, here, do this. Leader doesn't do that. A leader doesn't go up to people and say, you have to do this. This is not, not how a leader works. A leader is someone who can help people through the tough times in their life, the tough things that they come up against and, and help them through that by inspiration, by motivation, by word, by image, by uh, a text message, by whatever it takes. So you lead them by example, by showing them that any, well, okay, there are certain things in life that you can overcome. That's right. just fact. Yeah. But if it's overcome a bull and you don't take the effort to do it, you're not being a good leader because you want to lead those people past their struggles in life too. By showing by example, by, <laughs> like I said, I have many people who want to just see me next year on that course, just to see me on that course. That's incredible. It's a great feeling. Oh, gosh, yeah. I Absolutely. mean, it's a great feeling for me personally to know that I have an effect on people that I've never met or will meet this year or have met this past year and uh, just to know what uh, what I've had effect on them. I would say that that arguably is one of the most important factors for you. Totally. Right oh, yeah. To know that no matter where you are, what you're doing, people care. They do. And you didn't get that by accident. No, no. But they're good people. Yeah. Totally good people. Because they, most of them approached me. Like they saw me there and like, oh, Dave, I got to come see you and talk to you. You know, I've got to see how you're doing and, and give you a big hug and make sure you're okay. And that's what it's about. That's a camaraderie and that, that community. Tough Mudder is a community. Like, like I said, the events have eight to 11,000 people. World's Toughest Mudder had like 15,000. And I have, oh my gosh, this year, one of the participants who knew of my journey came up with a purple ribbon campaign that she wore in my honor <laughs> and got many others to join. It was just a really cool feeling to know that they did that for me. Do you know how many people ended up doing it? Hundreds. She bought quite a few bands. So it was just a really cool feeling to know that I had that, that effect on her. That doesn't happen by accident. No, no, it doesn't. Cause no, that's, it does not. that's the biggest stage on something that you've given the last math five, six years of your life now yeah. to right. every 
ounce of it behind you. Your entire wall is Tough Mudder stuff. Yeah. The wall behind you is all Tough Mudder product. Yep. You're an ambassador. You're one of 200 people. Yeah. And at the highest stage with the most people at any event, yeah. 24 hours long, yep. you had hundreds, which if you look at percentile, yeah, easily 10%. Like I said, plus. that's their Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Running it for you. Yeah. In my honor. 24-hour event, which is <laughs> as much as Tough Mudder is a community thing, World's Toughest definitely is the end-all, be-all. And I think, obviously, there are people there to do it for personal gratification right. and whatnot. But that is the pinnacle athletic event for these people. That's where are, they go for time. And there are people there who are doing it. Like, when I run a course, I'll, I'll glance at the people running the course, and I'll wonder why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll look at them and go, okay, they're doing it for either a family member, a friend, or themselves, or just to prove they can do it. Um, one of the stories I talked to, there's one of the main characters from Tough Mudder, his name is Kyle. Uh, he told me a story of this man who had planned to do 50 miles at World's Toughest Mudder, which is 10 laps. And he was on a cliff, and he loved mountain climbing. And he was on a cliff, and it was the sun was just coming up, and his wife had texted him. And she said, oh, where are you? And she, he said, I'm waiting for the sun to rise. And that was the last she heard of him. He literally fell off the cliff and died. And <laughs> when I talked to Kyle about that, he had said that him and one of the other um, members of Tough Mudder ran the 50 miles for him in his honor and literally carried his ashes with them. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, dude, how could you possibly have done that? <laughs> but that's what that camaraderie is about. That's what it's about. They did this for this man because he couldn't do it. And then when they crossed the finish line, they gave his wife the the 50-mile bib and the headband and stuff in, in honor of him. I mean, geez. <laughs> There's a lot of things. Think of that. Just think of what that yeah. took to do. There's a lot of things that like I look at in life, still being young, still learning my place and all of that. And what what's important in life. And I think what I've kind of come to the conclusion to with all of our tough mother experience with now owning a business and all of the things that have been going on in our lives, just life isn't about the legacy that you leave on the earth. It's about the legacy you leave in the next person. Yeah. How you, how you affect them. Cause that, that will carry on forever. Oh, it will. Yeah. Cause it'll just transition down the, down the path. Cause all of these people that are on your team are going to tell their kids and, like that legacy will live on forever. Oh yeah, I've got um, a girl on my team that will probably do these with us until she either moves or whatever. Just because <laughs> she saw me, she worked at the bank and she saw me wearing a shirt and come in. She says, "I want to mm-hmm. do that." And at that time, she was too young, so I kept bugging her about it. Like, and she's like, "Oh, you don't have to bug me. I want to join <laughs> you." Well, she's done four or five now with us, and she's hooked. She just she's a little little power keg, but she's, she's so much fun to be around, man. It's just, she's a character, but I've left an impression on her now to the point where she's going to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. she loves it. And, and she's told others yeah, and they tell others and that's how you build this team. Like I said, you build it through, um, positive talk you know like, i did this great we had a great time we had so much fun we we you know we eat we and we hang out after the fact like before after volunteering we always go out to eat after an event we always go out to eat um we hang out you know if we see each other we hang out at the gym so it's more than just meeting them up for this event and going and doing it we do a lot of things together 
Mm-hmm. I want to take a step away now and talk about your sales within now influencer deals. The one I'm going to pose it as this. You are somebody that just asks. I do. Tell me about that. <laughs> as a Tough Mudder ambassador, I'm like, okay, this is the highest role in Tough Mudder that you can possibly have other than being an employee because you're an ambassador for their company. So they have a sponsor of fitness drink called Celsius, which is a, a drink that I've acquired the taste for and I like, I love it. I mean, it's great stuff. They have a lot of different flavors and they, they, they're good for you. They're a healthy drink. It's a fitness drink. So one of the people that I had um, on Instagram, con- I contacted who was working for Celsius and I said, hey, I'm going to have these boot camps to help promote Tough Mudder and, and sign up more people. And he says, well, yeah, I definitely want to be part of that because we're their sponsor. We're the main sponsor. So I said, well, could you send me some of your product that I could give away at these events and help promote it? He said, yeah, I'd be happy to because I asked. Right. If I don't ask, I'm never going to get that product or ever going to get that. Well, I'm to the point now where I'm a, a Celsius, what they call a lifer ambassador. So I now have Celsius shirts they send me and a gym bag they sent me and they send me product to, again, promote their company because they know that I'm a promoter. And I'm a promoter in a positive way. Like I'll post on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter all about pictures of me drinking their product or using their product um, in a very positive way because I asked. If you don't ask, you're never going to get. And if you get turned down, so you get turned down. But I've grown that more than just them. I've now got a... a, a healthy um, like a potato chip company that I work not potato chip but a um, like a Doritos yeah protein chip company that I work with that gives me discounts and product they send me and probably six or seven others Um, fitness apparel because every time I see something that I like I just I just ask (laughs) and that's part of being a salesman too is you have to ask for that sale and if you get turned down then you just move on to the next because there's plenty out there that'll help support you and it's it's not difficult to do. You just have to be prepared for possibly being rejected. And Which, big you, deal. Yeah, if you have a fear of rejection, it ain't going to work so good. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun because I think I look at it as fun. I look at it as a challenge mm-hmm. because it like if I see a company that I want to work with, to me that's a challenge to get them to sign up with me. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I do, again, wear their product and I promote their product. So I've got six or seven friends of mine now who drink Celsius on a regular basis because they see me drinking it and see me posting about it. And for them to send me a case of product every once in a while to give to them and and help promote, they've come out way ahead on that deal. Mm -hmm. And this is only going to grow over time. It's not going to recess because I'm just going to keep promoting it. (laughs) So it's, it's fun to do for me. It's fun. I look at it as fun. Community influence relationships. Who have been your biggest mentors in life? Well, obviously my parents, because they drove me to succeed. Um, obviously you, because you're, we're just fun to be around. <laughs> yeah. we're, just, we're just a great team. Mom is, we just have so much fun together. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's the, it's the people that you are around. If you surround yourself with good people, great things will happen. That's one of my models in life. Uh, I've, I've eliminated all the negative people from my life because they're just downers. Mm-hmm. You hang around with somebody who just, Constantly brings down things. It's just why. It's just you're only on this planet for so long. Just enjoy every second of it and, and be with people who support you 
as a person and you support them and they're just good, good people to be around. Like my team, I would love to hang, you know, be with them any chance I get, because those are the type of people that you surround yourself with because they will always uplift you and you'll always uplift them. If you live yourself with, live with people who are always bringing you down and always talking down and you just, you come home and you're like, ugh, <laughs> that was just horrible yeah. hanging with them because now I'm just depressed. I don't want to be depressed. If I want to be depressed, I'll watch the news. Right. <laughs> yeah, that can be very depressing. Yeah. Or even watching some sporting events. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that can be depressing too. But uh, it, it's, it's you hang, yeah, just think of that. Hang, put yourself in a positive position, surround yourself with positive people and great things will happen. That's huge. Would you say that's you living on your parents' legacy? Yeah. Uh, my dad was a farmer and then grew into a, a welder. And, uh, so he worked hard. He never made a lot of money, but he worked hard. So I learned the, the value of hard work more than anything from him. And mom was just a mom. <laughs> she, oh yeah. I learned to cook. I learned to do so many things from, from, from mom that, uh, just pushed me. Uh, she passed away of cancer. Dad passed away of a heart failure. So they lived both in their eighties. I had one aunt that lived to be a hundred. So I have a good legacy there, but they were very, uh, they were the great parents. They just really were. 100%. 100%. You right. know that from being- Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> from, oh, gosh, yeah. From grandma and grandpa. You need an apple, Eric. Root beer barrels, <laughs> apple, jam, Whatever bread, you wanted. Anything. Yes. Where can people find you? Where can people follow your journey? Um, on Instagram, I'm ageless underscore journey. I think I'm the same on Twitter as well. I never really look at what my Twitter It'll name is. It'll be down is. in the description if anybody, if, if we are, Ron, but yeah. I think so. Yeah. So Instagram- uh, Facebook, we'll put that post in there. Um, I don't have a YouTube channel yet. LinkedIn I have. I don't use it as much as possibly I could, but mostly on Instagram and Facebook are where you'll find me. And what's next for you? What's next for me? Well, first I want to get rid of this crap that's in my body, which we're getting close. Because I'm just going to point out, as, as of recording this video, we are probably hovering around day 40-ish, is I that I think fair? it's 38 to 40, somewhere around there. Of 100 in your overall sense transplant day yes so you have to be at home so we are filming this from the basement um on house arrest essentially for these 100 days or until told otherwise right because during this time i have to have a low bacteria diet so i can't eat like salads or some of the things i love like fruits because fruits are full of potential germs and stuff um every time i leave the house i have to wear a mask to keep the germs away from me Uh, i'm pretty much house fine i can't go into a store because there's too many crowds of people that could affect me and I'm at, my immune system is very low right now and once I get over that then I can go back to living again and that typically is between the 50th and the 100th day like on the 50th day which will be I think the 12th of December I should be able to go back to work and start resuming small activities like getting out into that type of public but literally I won't be able to go into like a big department store or grocery store till practically around day 100 at that point they will reassess where I'm at with if, did they get rid of all the cancer? Is right. it gone? Is it 99% gone? And then once that's assessed, that'll determine where I go from there. But that is January 31st. So my next goal is to get rid of that, hit that 100th day, and get that off me so I can get back to my physical training again, which I'm slowly re- slowly yeah. getting into because I feel way better than when I left that hospital. <laughs> again, they treated me fantastic there, but that was just a real, oh my God, that just took everything out of me. I couldn't believe how hard it was just to walk um, basically 
the, the room that I was in was 16 by 16, but they had a hallway outside that was maybe what, hundred feet. 100, I would say probably the, the lap that you did, I would say is probably about a football field. Total. Yeah. That was extremely difficult to do. And for someone who's ran 13 miles less than a year ago yeah. and, and did tough mutter courses, which are 10 to 12 miles long, four hours long, to to have it difficult to walk a football field and have to get back into my room and literally sit in my chair and just <sighs> because I was pooped. I I didn't think I'd ever get back in shape again. Yeah. I really didn't. And right now I'm just slowly it it's hard for me because I I have to pull the reins in because I want so bad <laughs> to oh, get yeah. to get I back to you. where I was a year oh, ago. Yeah. To because we went through this earlier in our conversation of how this took me 10 years to get to here now it like God, it took me 10 years to get to this and now I'm back to square one and I don't want it to take another 10 years because I'm 59. I don't, I don't think I'm going to want to be, well, I will want to be doing this at age 70, but it's, I just don't want it to take another 10 years. So I'm, I have to pull in the reins and just slowly get back into this again and not overdo it. That's the hardest part for me. And lastly, what makes you a misfit? Because I mean this in a good way. I think I'm in a low percentage of the people my age who do what I want to do. That's being a misfit. Couldn't be more simple than that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate your time. Thank you guys so much for watching. It means so much to me to have my dad on this, on this podcast and be able to pull everything that I was able to pull out of him and, and share that emotion together was absolutely one of the coolest things that I can say that I've done and and we both from the bottom of our hearts think all of the support and every message that we've gotten and we'll get especially from this episode about his journey and, and his recovery process so thank you so much for all of that but in the meantime if you'd like to check out other pieces of our content it will be around me right now and any other links for myself or where you can find my dad and his journey and, and follow up with how he's doing please feel free to check out the show notes or the links in the description and until next time i'll see you on the internet